This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome, everybody, to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully, you're having a wonderful Saturday afternoon-ish. Hopefully, you're making a great one as well. And it's going to be a fantastic weekend after all we got. UFC 252. I'll definitely get to that a little bit later in the program. But we appreciate you listening in as per the usual. It's the famous CD with you for the next two hours talking nothing but great sports. I know we talked a lot about the NBA just a little while ago with under with him uh, unprompted with Louis Prejean just wrapping up. We'll get to that maybe a little bit later. But as always, we are coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial, dare I say, opulent and cromulent 1037 The Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And we appreciate you listening in, be it on the FM dial, the Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, the free mobile app, the smart speakers, however you're doing. So we appreciate the heck out of you for listening in. And, you know, if you want to call us up, the Twin Peaks hotline is open at 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. And the big overarching topic of today is going to be who you got. For UFC 252, the main event, DC Steve Pay Part Trey. Who do you have winning that one? You can call us up for that or anything else that we're going to be talking about on this show. And trust me, we're going to get into a lot of different topics over the course of the next two hours. But of course, if you listen to the show enough, you know how we start things off. We, you know how, as Lil Boosie would say, we like to set it off. And I think we're going to set it off in a very interesting way. With your, I, I'm looking forward to this. I look forward to it every single week, and it's without doubt probably one of the most highly anticipated segments to hear what I got to rant about to start the show. And ladies and gentlemen, this is your Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. From the time Under the Dome got off the air waves last week to today, the world of college football splintered into two camps at the FBS level. The FCS level, I'm going to keep out of the conversation because of the fact that this, this that their decision was a lot more money-oriented than anything because gate for the FCS schools is everything when it comes to making that dollar-dollar bill, y'all. And the almighty dollar was a big reason why the FCS pulled out like they did, everybody shut down. Same with the Division Three programs across this great country of ours. And going back to what I was saying about they were split into two camps. And the group that doesn't want to play in the fall, and also the group that is playing come hell or high water, 
Let's take some time and look at both sides of that conversation. First, I'm going to look at the Big Ten and the Pac-12 specifically. I love to put in the Mountain West and the MAC and all that stuff, but I feel like these two are the biggest ones that caused a bunch of dominoes to fall. But what caused those dominoes to fall and not the rest? Just think about it. The Big Ten the Pac-12 released their schedules last week about six days before their major announcement that they were going to cancel the season, try to move to the spring, which is a whole different conversation entirely. But it was weird because it looked like they were going full steam ahead, and then all of a sudden the Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren said that their decision on Tuesday had to do with the uncertainty concerning COVID-19. The Pac-12 drops theirs as well, decides to postpone to the spring, and a lot of it theirs had to do with something new that came about because of heart conditions that are being caught are a big cause of after having COVID-19 for these young athletes having these heart issues. And it, I understand where they're coming from with that. But again, was that solely the reason why you decided to pull the plug on the season? It seems incredibly unfair and also a little sketch when you have a group of players that were already on campus to begin with, starting to prepare for the possibility of playing football this fall and possibly their final season in some cases. And Jim Harbaugh dropped stats on people that made a lot of sense. I think the players are a hell of a lot safer in this situation, in this pseudo-bubble, this makeshift bubble that they're in, a lot more than they would be outside of it, a lot more than they would be if they were just your average everyday students. And yes, you're going to see all, you're going to probably see a good chunk of cases spike because you know everybody wants because of the insistence that we need to go back to school in the sense of in the traditional sense, if you will. That's kind of where we're at when it comes to what the Big Ten and Pac-12's decision was made. And you know the numbers were showing that these kids were staying inside that bubble, outside of how things were at the start. Things were getting better, and the way things were done. They were a lot safer there. Now they're left in the dark with no idea of what's going to happen for them. Who's to say that spring football for these kids is sustainable or even feasible? Obviously, once the rest of the student body comes back in a conversation, might change when it comes to it. But I feel like there should be a way to get this done for the players to play in the fall. To me, this was done to maintain and preserve that phrase that we hear all the time and you've probably heard a lot over the last seven days. Amateurism. To be honest to me, that phrase amateurism holds about as much weight as kayfabe does in the world of pro wrestling in 2020. That 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 ship has done sail. The name, image, and likeness flames have been stoked, and players across the country are starting to realize their worth and how influential they can be. For example, I'm here on this microphone. You're hearing me talk about everything involved in the world of college sports, and you're listening in. To me, this a microphone that I have holds power. Their power when it comes to players isn't a microphone. It is social media. Their social media account holds power. For most, social media in their hands is just entertainment and a great way to kind of dispense hot takes that really don't necessarily reach like the top 1% or maybe the 90th percentile of the Twitter base. Meanwhile... Players like Trevor Lawrence, it's a pipe bomb. It's something that can kind of set off a chain reaction unlike any other. The Clemson quarterback showed last Sunday just that. His hashtag, we want to play tweet, that caused a movement and momentum towards a possible union in the in terms of college athletics 
made the NCAA cower in the booth because the walls are closing in on that word, amateurism, and know that will likely come to an end. And Lawrence, a player that could have simply said he was going to opt out, prepare for the NFL draft, and get his number one pick because that's where he's at. His resume was already secure. He would have already been a number one pick, more likely than not, if not for Joe Burrow being an absolute monster, his sophomore year that was allowed. Now he's fighting for that greater good. The Big 12, SEC and ACC, they've shown where their allegiances lie and the power lies in these Power 5 conferences playing in the fall. Like Ed Ogeron said on that fateful night after the loss to Alabama, we coming. And the South isn't going to back down when it comes to playing this fall. They are the ones also fighting for that greater good and wanting to reward these kids that have been working hard all summer and throughout their lives to play this great game of football when it's supposed to be, when it matters, when it's deemed, obviously, necessary in the fall. Everybody wants to see it in the fall. If you see in the spring, it creates a logistical nightmare that SIDs aren't looking forward to. I guarantee you that. Yes, there's an inherent risk when it comes to this, and it definitely there's an inherent risk of getting on the field and taking these hits every down. You have an inherent risk of playing football. And yes, there's risk when it comes to contracting COVID-19, but I think when it comes to especially some of these Power 5 conferences, they have infectious disease experts. LSU has an infectious diseases expert that can help these guys make the decision and know what is going on. I am telling you now, that is the right decision to make if you're a player, is having the idea of what's going on and what risks are at stake. Yeah, there's a lot of risks short term and long term. But these young men are probably well aware, a lot more than me, most definitely, of these risks, both short-term and long-term. It's not like they're just putting them on a plane to skydive without a parachute. If players opt out of the season, I have nothing but respect for them to make that decision, and the same goes if they want to play. We can't just pack it up and not play at all because that could be the end of college athletics as we know it. several programs across this great country of ours. If they don't have fans in the stands, they're going to lose millions and millions of dollars. The fight for the greater good hasn't gone unnoticed to me, and the NCAA can't stand in the way of progress. The end of, the end of amateurism is coming, and the NCAA won't be able to operate the same way as they used to without, in the words of Teddy KGB in Rounders, paying that man his money. That's the bottom line when it comes to the state of college football right here, right now. We're laying it all on the line, talking about what's causing all this. If you have a different opinion, you want to, we want to kind of sound off. The Twin Peaks hotline is open. 337-706-0111. We've got a guest coming up at the bottom of each hour, 1130. We're going to have on a new guest of the program. This actually came up last minute. John Eric Poli. Part of MyMMANews.com. He's going to be joining the program. Originally, we were going to have Blaine Henry on. We were hyping that up. Some things came up. Thankfully, we managed to get a guest at the zero hour. And that's that's the amazing part of uh, Sunday's booking out a show. The, the card is always subject to change. I think I should put that every week. But this card was subject to change. But one thing that won't change is at 1230, we're going to have on Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone on 95.3 The Ticket, talking a little college football involving the Sun Belt Conference, the sustainability, what's going on with the scheduling, and maybe maybe some Zoom horror stories. Because trust me, we've been dealing with a lot of those Zoom calls 
as of late, especially now that football's in full swing. I think that's definitely an interesting conversation to be had. But when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation looking just at UL specifically because they've had an interesting week as well, adding a team and losing two others, making it three non-conference games they have to fill and a whole lot more on the show. Again, if you want to call me up to talk about what's going on, who's you got, DC or Steve Bay, call us up. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. 337-706-0111 is how you get in on the Twin Peaks hotline to talk about everything going on in the world of college football. Who you got, D.C., Stipe, or whatever else you want to get to. I know Lewis had a lot of callers, so why not bring those in to the program? 337-706-0111. And while the grander scope of college football is undergoing a paradigm shift for the long term, in my mind, I think we need to get into the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And they made a major change to their schedule and also have had some major changes to it. And that includes a little addition by subtraction. Earlier in the week, they lost the rest of their non-conference games. And as of right now, we'll open up the season against the Fighting Sage Rosenfels of Iowa State. How about that name for a little bit of a throwback for you? I completely forgot he was part of Iowa State. Also, Fred Hoiberg, former Chicago Bulls coach, went to Iowa State. But this is an absolutely massive get for the Cajuns. Taking on the clones. No, not the loyal fan base of the Jungle and the Jim Rohn Show. I'm talking about the Cyclones of Iowa State. With everything going on, with the top 25 being changed due to teams not playing in the fall, it caused an interesting project that 24-7 sports put together. I don't want to be looking at it before the show. Just to see where they stand with the fact you're not going to include those teams that aren't playing in the fall in this preseason top 25. Again, that's that's just their whole opinion. But I love this matchup. The Cyclones are ranked 18th in this hypothetical world. After a 7-6 season, I see that a little strange, but whatever. I think I would put the Cajuns in that top 25. I know App State was in it as well for the record. So for me, it's just the fact that you have it's a massive contest, and it's against a team that you have the potential, just the mere potential, of doing the same thing you did back in 1996 when they took on Texas A&M inside Cajun Field. Now, this is in Ames, Iowa. Thankfully, this is going to be on September the 12th, not like mid-November, like the Mizzou game was supposed to be, which is a whole different conversation. But it's also the first time these two teams have ever faced off and that's going to create a whole lot of interest. The intrigue is going to be there. This is going to be on September the 12th. Now, the real question is, you know, everybody's talking about the fact that the rest of the non-conference schedule was being snapped off the face of the earth like Thanos wiped off half the planet in Infinity War. And obviously, Mizzou was already off the docket weeks ago when the SEC went to a conference-only model. Now they're without their own non-con games, McNeese and 
New Mexico State both bailed. The Wyoming contest was replaced, obviously, due to what's going on with the – it replaced the New Mexico State contest. Uh, no, wait, it, the Wyoming contest, excuse me. That was week two. New Mexico State, I believe, was like mid, mid-season. And it makes you wonder – I've been wondering about this for weeks – is why exactly, and I talked about this a lot on last week's show, was why Tommy McClellan, LaTex AD, is continuing to duck the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. That season over against UNLV is available right now, so how can the two parties not agree to play with each other or schedule a home-and-home? I mean, BYU just scheduled a home-and-home with Troy. If the freaking Mormons can make a deal to play in Alabama, especially Troy, Alabama. This isn't Brian Denny, where you're going to have a really great spotlight on your program. This is the Troy Trojans, who aren't necessarily at the same level they were a few years ago when they beat LSU. Remember when they did that? That, was, that wasn't that long ago. Even though in COVID times, it's kind of hard to have a true statement of how much time we've kind of lost and gained with everything going on. But of course... What's going on with LaTeX and the Cajuns? That's really the one of the biggest questions I have. Because LaTeX AD, Tommy McClellan, apparently hasn't been answering some calls. And I think, honestly, you know, he might be ghosting a certain someone in terms of the AD of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I don't know that to be true, but I could about summate that much. And it just feels like, you know, schools across the state of Louisiana are either running scared or maybe are still butthurt about the whole name change things. And they, they want to do that. That's fine. But I think they should suck it up to me and and do this for the greater good, not just for the college football, but for Louisiana football. How can we not have, on a consistent basis, a regular rotation of several programs across this state? There are great programs across the state. La Tech, Tulane, Nickel State, McNeese. Now you got Frank Wilson in there. I think he'll do a great job with that program. Of course, it's assuming everything is going to go, relatively speaking, back to normal. But there's a lot of conversations to be had about what's going on and why we can't see a regular rotation of, and here's how, again, in my world, and my world is a mess, in my mind is an absolute just jumbled up mess. So for me, I, here's how I would put it. I would have, in terms of the Cajun schedule, I'd have one FCS opponent. I mean, again, if the FCS is still around, I would have one FCS opponent from in-state. I'd have one opponent from in-state in terms of a non-conference. And then I'd figure out like a big name, like a Power 5 program, like an SEC or a Big 12. I'd book one of those. I'd book one of those body bag games. That fills three needs. And then your fourth one can kind of be whatever. Obviously, you know, I'm just kicking the can down the road. But I think that every year it should be a rotation. So let's say the FCS game is going to be McNeese, Southeastern, Southern, Grambling, and Nichols. It's a five-year rotation. Then you can rotate between La Tech and you can rotate with Tulane. You can probably want to working out some things as well with adjacent programs like Houston, and I'd say I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to be going on with your boys over at Southern Miss. How can we not have all the group of five programs that are all within striking distance all work together to have some sort of like rotation and hell, make it a home and home. 
make him a home and home, and he could wind up working this out to where everybody wins. I think the fact you could have Louisiana on Louisiana, we want to talk about attendance or lack thereof for some games. We need to have I and it looks like Looks like we might have breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. Trying to pull it up right now. Trying to make sure to get this 100% right. Yes, Andrew Lopez just dropped a bombshell right after Lewis's show is done. Alvin is out. Alvin Gentry is out, folks, from Andrew Lopez. It finally happened, and he got the big scoop. Andrew Lopez almost said Adrian Wojnarowski. I'm more than used to seeing him drop those bombshells, but he is O-W-T-A out. I am so glad about that. I'm dumping the talk about the Cajuns and LaTeX dumping them. I am so glad they got rid of Alvin Gentry. Get out of here, Alvin. Get the hell out. I am so excited about this. Thank you to people who hit me up about this. He is gone. I am so excited. Alvin Gentry, you are out of here. Get Kenny Atkinson on the horn right now. Get the former Brooklyn Nets coach, a guy who they are going to regret firing, and he's going to do a fantastic job. Give me Kenny Bleepin Atkinson as your next head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. It is happening. Worlds are colliding, people. I am so excited. This this Saturday's great. Because first of all, I'm here with you. Second of all, Alvin Gentry's fired. Third and most importantly, DC Steve Bay three tonight. I I. I'm gonna might take a timeout just to kind of calm myself down because your boy is in a damn good mood. Alvin Gentry, bye bye. Time to send Lonzo on down the line to try and figure out how to boot him. Give me Kenny Atkinson. Give me the man. Give it to me, baby. Like the offspring. I'm looking. Oh man, I am so happy about the fact that people are dropping breaking news during my show. And it's actually good news. Dare I say great news, wonderful news. The fact that we have the Pelicans have dropped it. Get them out of here. Square peg and round hole. Shut it down. I am out of here. I am glad he is donezo funzo. Get him the hell out. You couldn't get him out fast enough. I am absolutely loving life right now. It is so damn good. Is again, Alvin Gentry was a guy who wanted to have it be like the Golden State Warriors. Pace of play, pace of play. That was really a big reason why the injuries piled up like nobody else. It is time to get him out of here, and you need to open up that checkbook. Whatever Kenny Atkinson wants, Kenny Atkinson going to get. If not, you know, it is what it is. Don't get Jason Kidd. That's the one thing I'm going to say. Do not repeat do not. Gail Benson, if you're listening, I know you're probably not because you're too busy, you know, dealing with the Saints, this whole COVID situation, the Pelicans now. Don't get Jason Kidd. I feel like Jason Kidd's a okay head coach, but I feel like you're going to run into the same problem. They're only going to get so far. Give me a guy like Kenny Atkinson who got his legs cut out from underneath him way too early. Alvin Gentry got his cut out at the right time. A lot like what happened with Monty Williams. Monty Williams deserved to go, in my opinion. He deserved to get out, uh, get out of Dodge at that time. Now, obviously, he's doing a great job with the Phoenix Suns. Congrats to him. But he needed to go. He needed to go and figure out what he was doing wrong. He's doing a great job with the guys like Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. I feel for him. But it's time 
to go. And again, big ups to Andrew Lopez for dropping the dime. It looks like there's somebody on the on the Twin Peaks hotline right now. So we'll get to that before we take a timeout. Let's see who's on the hotline. Hello. Hey, good morning. Hey, what's going on? Hey, I I heard about the Gentry news, and I think it probably was time to make a change. But it's tough to judge a guy when your star player played half the season was on a minutes restriction. You then you come back after a layoff, and you try to make some work in a bubble. So, yeah, maybe a time for the guy to go, but I don't think he had the best shot of success this year. I'd agree with you. He didn't necessarily have the best the best chance at success this year. But for me, I think it's just the fact that. He was already kind of lived on borrowed time because of the fact you have a new GM. He's got to make a statement that he's willing to make some changes to get to get to where this team deserves to be. I think this team has a chance to be maybe an eight or a seven seed on a really good year in the Western Conference. They'd probably be a lot higher if they were in the Eastern Conference. But for me, I think this was the right decision, and it, honestly, I think it needed to happen after last year. Worst move over the past three years was when Dim started Monty Williams. Because even though the Suns didn't make the playoff, you saw what they did in the bubble. Yeah. To me, I, I, you bring up you bring up Monty, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and appreciate the call. I've got a guest coming up in a few moments, so I'm, I'm gonna just bring this up. Is the fact that Monty Williams? I think it was time. I think it was time for him to go. He was he was at that point where. The Pelicans outperform, outkick their coverage a little bit, if you will, in their last year with Monty Williams. And Monty Williams is a great guy. Nothing but respect for him. But I just don't think he necessarily was going to have it. And I think the bigger question is, can he sustain that success in Phoenix long term? If he can do that, great. I'll, I'll have egg on my face, and I'll be proud to say Monty Williams is doing a great job. I've had nothing but respect for him. But I feel like at a certain point, you got to realize – it's time to move on and try and figure something else out. At least that's how I'm looking at it. Appreciate the call. Appreciate y'all for listening in on Under the Dome with CD. We're going to take a quick timeout. We're going to drift away from the Alvin Gentry news. because My God, I, I am blown away by this. I'm, I did not expect to be talking about this in the 10 o'clock hour. Coming up next, we got John Eric Poley. Writer for MMA, MyMMANews.com will talk to him about UFC 252 and a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. From the octagon oh! to the 20 by 20 squared circle oh! and everywhere in between. Give me a hell yeah! The world-famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. Welcome back. To Under the Dome with CD on Acadia and a Sports Station 1037 The Game. We appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through the 1037 The Game mobile app, the FM dial, smart speakers. And right now we're going to get over to the Twin Peaks hotline. It is time to talk about the trilogy to end all trilogies, UFC 252. It's going to be a great night of fights at the UFC Apex. And to talk about all that, we're going to get over to the Twin Peaks hotline 
to talk to John Eric Poli of, of By MMA News. He's on the Twin Peaks Hotline. John Eric, how's it going? Hey, man, it's going great. I really look forward to talking to you about a great night of fights coming up here. I'm excited, just like everybody else is. I want to see this trilogy uh, come to a close once and for all here. I'm absolutely looking forward to this card, practically from top to bottom, especially once I started to look at some of the other fights that were coming up. Like, you had Junior Dos Santos involved in a fight against a young up-and-comer whose name I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing. So I'm going to let you kind of handle the heavy lifting of his opponent in the other heavyweight bout. Junior Dos Santos is going to be taking on a young up-and-comer, 10-1 record. What can you say about that matchup? Yeah, so well, first off, his opponent is just and it's very hard to pronounce, and I might even butcher the first name a little bit. I would de- I would definitely get the last name correct, though. But it's, if I'm saying the first name right is Jaziro Rosenstrike. Um, so I'm just going to refer to him as Rosenstrike from now on. That sounds names good. Are tough. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Rosenstrike's a, a, an up-and-comer there. And, uh, you know, right now we know, all we know about him is he will knock your lights out when he connects. Uh, in fact, he just fought recently against Francis Ngano, and that was supposed to be this big matchup because – Two guys that all you do is land one punch and it could put you right away. Um, and ultimately, Mingano just ran out there and just steamrolled him within like, I think it was like 20 seconds or something like that. So we didn't really see a lot of minutes there. But Rosenstrike, uh, you know, when you look at his fight before that against Alistar Overeem, who actually has a win over Junior Dos Santos, Overeem was up 4 nothing on all those judges' scorecards. But again, it took that one punch in the fifth round that Rosenstrike came out there. He landed it. He actually split uh, Overeem's lip wide open it was disgusting like if nobody if everyone you know if you have a good enough stomach to go and look at nasty injuries look up alistar overeem's injury against jazeera rosenstrike it is it is gross um but when i look at this fight though i, I because of when i looked at that alistar overeem fight with rosenstrike again he was down four nothing on the scorecards i could see junior really going out there and just putting on a, a, a very good boxing clinic because junior is one of the best actual boxers in the sport of mixed martial arts so uh, if i had to guess i would say most likely end up being something like a junior by decision type of a deal there but um yeah that's that's the way i look at it i think rosenstrike does have potential and he can land that big shot but will he do it is the ultimate question and i think it's definitely an interesting undercard as well when you look at the prelims i think the, the main on the, the prelims is gonna be a lightweight matchup jim miller taking on vink pitchell what do you say about that matchup, and what other prelim matches are you most looking forward to for those who aren't necessarily going to buy the pay-per-view and those who are going to want to probably watch a good chunk of the prelims? Yeah, so when you're looking at the prelims, uh, well, I guess we'll start with that headliner there with Jim Miller. Um, you know, you're going to be looking at history and even uh, another potential um, uh, history in the making there. So Jim Miller, for nobody that knows, he's a, uh, a veteran of the sport. He's been around the UFC for a long time now, and he's as active as they come. And Jim Miller's last outing when he picked up his win over um, um, uh, Roosevelt, his last name, or his first name is uh, escaping me at the moment. But anyway, Jim Miller went out there, he picked up a first-round submission victory, and um, that fight was special for Miller, not only because he got the win, but just that fight alone puts him at number one on the UFC record list for most fights within the promotion. So he's going to extend that now. By one more, so you're going to see the most active fighter in UFC history fight. And then on top of that, if he's to get the win tonight, that actually ties him with Donald Cowboy Cerrone for most wins in the UFC. Uh, and that would be at 23, I believe, at the top of my head. So that one's special for that. But 
Uh, the other fight that I look forward to is the one that happens right before that. Felice uh, Herrig is returning. So she's a, she's a bit of a fan favorite. A lot of people have uh, seen her fight. And um, it's been a while since we've last seen her. She's coming off of a, uh, a, um, a torn ACL injury. And um, the girl that she's fighting uh, is a former Invicta FC champion, only has one loss in the UFC, and that came in uh, her first outing in the UFC, which they threw to Carla Esparza, a former UFC champion, talking about being thrown to the wolves there. So that's an exciting matchup as well in the prelims. Talking right now with John Eric Poli of MyMMANews.com. And, you know, looking at one of the other matches, the co-main event, this man has kind of been on another level since he's joined the UFC, and that is... Sean O'Malley, guy like has lately looked like a guy who you create on UFC four, which has definitely kind of been promoted to no end. Sean O'Malley, twelve and zero, and he was an absolute monster and a big breakout performance against Eddie Wineland at UFC two fifty. What do you say about him and what his trajectory is in terms of the bantamweight division? Yeah, that guy's the real deal, and um, I, I honestly think the only thing that would ever hold him back at Bantamweight would end up being his weight cut. I'm not sure exactly how much he weighs naturally, how much he has to cut down, and it seems that he has that all under control, especially now being a, a younger guy. Usually it's easier to cut weight when you're younger. But, I mean, he's so long, and in a division like that, when you and I think it's something we've seen almost like uh, looking at like a Max Holloway or Conor McGregor at 145 pounds. When you're a taller, longer fighter and you know how to use your reach the right way, you can create problems all the time. And that's what Sean O'Malley, to me, has, has really stood out is he understands how to use his long limbs to be so dangerous on his feet. And, and all it takes with him, he's another one too in that weight class, given his, given his size and his length. When he puts that one punch on that chin, you're going down. So um, it's been great watching him. And I, I honestly see a future UFC star there. I mean, the, the stock is high in him right now. Uh, a big test for him tonight, too, because Marlon Vera is not an easy, easy night out for anybody. Um, in Vera's last uh, outing, actually, I, I feel that he got ripped off. Uh, he fought Song Gadong, and uh, he's a Chinese fighter. And uh, they gave uh, Gadong the, the, the victory, uh, unanimous decision win, but I, I, the judges got that one wrong. And I'm not the only person that feels that way. And if Vera, let's just you know, say if Vera were to have won that fight, I know that the loss is on there, but that would have put him on a six-fight winning streak. So this is definitely O'Malley's biggest test to date. And I think if he wins, he's not ready quite for those top five fighters. You might want to give somebody right outside, maybe that seven to ten type of an error. But the 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 O'Malley show is real. We'll put it that way. And, and tonight's definitely going to be a big test. If he gets a win tonight, it's time to start taking some serious stock in Sean O'Malley. Oh, I definitely would be buying that stock and then some based on what I've seen from him in the last couple of fights. And the fact he's taking a fight so soon. After UFC 250, as I mentioned, that was back in June, which feels like a lot longer than just June, considering everything that the UFC has been doing with Fight Island and whatnot, and obviously COVID-19 has kind of changed the way we think about time. But looking at the main event, Steve Miocic, Daniel Cormier, the trilogy fight everybody's been looking forward to, just based off of the hype itself, not because of the fights or anything, where does this rank in your mind amongst some of the best trilogies in the history of MMA? Yeah, that's a very good question, and uh, I know like, we all have recency bias, you know, in, in terms of things. So, uh, you know, you look at it that way. You, you want to come right out and say that it's number one. Um, and, and you know, I'm trying to just think of some off the top of my head. And obviously, the, the junior and uh, junior dos Santos, Cain Velasquez one might actually be, you know, one of the top ones out there for sure. If it's not number one, it's definitely be number two to this one. Ironically, two other heavyweights there as well. 
Um, but the thing is, like, just trilogies are just so rare to see, especially, uh, you know, when, when they're for the championship like this. So I guess in terms of worth it rank, I mean, I am going to recency bias and put it right up there at number one. I mean, how could you not, given what both of these guys have done in their career? You're looking at Daniel Cormier, who obviously is now a former uh two-division champion, because he obviously doesn't have any of the belts at the moment, but still, like, that's rare in itself. You have him taking on a guy in Stipe Miocic, who, you know, has the UFC record for heavyweight title defenses. So given what both of these two have accomplished inside of the octagon, you have to put it at number one. You just you have to. And obviously it's the last ride for DC. This is going to be his last fight ever. What do you think is going to be the biggest key for him to get the win, to get the win tonight and retire on top? Yeah, well, you know, he's been saying uh, he hasn't made it a secret by any means that he wants to go out there and he wants to use his wrestling. And I think that's going to be the big key. Now, the one thing there is you have to remember, Stipe knows how to wrestle himself. He was a Division One wrestler out of Cleveland State. Of course, he doesn't have the wrestling pedigree you would say that Daniel Cormier has, who represented the United States of America in the Olympics. But, uh, you know, he will know how to go in there, obviously, and defend himself. It's not going to be an easy cakewalk for Daniel just to go right in there and ragdoll him. But... You know, D.C. said with that smaller octagon, a 25-foot cage in the UFC apex, his key to victory is to go out there and, and to wrestle. And I think that is Daniel's best best way to go out there and do it um, because, you know, when you look at what D.C. can do on the ground, yeah, sure, he's good with the ground and power, but he has a lot of submission wins down there as well. So he could be dangerous that way, too. He gets a hold of your neck or something like that. But, you know, when you look at their stand-up, though, too, D.C., in all reality, he Knocked him out in the first fight. That second fight, he was, honestly, he outlanded him. He outstruck him. You know, he was winning the stand-up game as well. But uh, I don't think he, I don't think you want to go out there and get into a just a, a street fight standing up with Stipe. It's never a, a good idea. So I think Daniel, you know, needs to go out there and utilize that wrestling like he said he's planning on doing. Talk right now with uh, John Eric Poli of My MMA News. And, you know, D.C., you know, win or lose or even draw on this contest tonight, what is his legacy in terms of it in, in MMA? Because he feels like right now probably one of the best fighters in the history of the UFC and just MMA in general because he's won in strike force. He's won a light heavyweight title in the UFC, won a heavyweight title in the UFC. What, what What's his legacy in your mind? Uh, it, it, it's up there. I mean, he's definitely one of the best to ever do it, no doubt about it. I mean, first off, just looking at him before he came to the UFC with the strike force heavyweight champion and you know, he came into that as an alternate because no one really had that high a stock on him. He just came right in there and started knocking guys out and winning that. And then comes over, obviously, to the UFC, and then his teammates, Cain Velasquez, so he didn't want to fight at heavyweight. So then he suffers for years, cutting down to 205. And, you know, we all know that Daniel's a big boy there. He had some, and a lot of weight to cut there. And what's he do there? I don't know. He wins two heavyweight, or sorry, two white heavyweight championships. Uh, of course, he had the John Jones stuff. Uh, in the mix there, which is why there was two of them. But, uh, again, for him just to do that and to be decorated not only in the heavyweight division, that's one of the best heavyweight fighters of all time, but he's also one of the best light heavyweight fighters of all time. And, of course, we know that the light heavyweight uh, division is the glamour division, they say, of the UFC from all their great fighters over the years, like Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, of course, John Jones and Daniel Cormier in that mix as well. So, of course, he's one of the best to do it inside of the octagon in both weight classes. And, of course, at heavyweight, like I said, he won uh, in strike force and, of course, with the UFC. And his only heavyweight loss ever is the Steve Amia chick, which makes this even more exciting tonight. But when you talk about his legacy, I just want to add this quickly. 
I think it goes outside of the octagon as well because Daniel's been an extraordinary uh, commentator for the UFC. Back when it was on Fox, he was on UFC Tonight as well as calling fights. Now here it is with ESPN. He's still on the broadcast team a lot, and he's uh, also does some little bit of work there with the desk uh, and the pre-fight shows and that for the UFC as well. And, uh, you know, he does a great job commentating, explaining things, and making it easy for people to follow along and, and get to know the sport, especially when you're first starting out watching it. So when you talk about his legacy, I think you have to talk about how it does expand outside of the octagon as well. Appreciate you coming on, John, especially on such short notice, my man. We want to have having some changes to the lineup, and we appreciate you taking the hot tag, if you will, and coming on the program. We'll talk to you down the road. Sounds good, my man. I appreciate the time, and definitely reach out anytime. I'd love to come on. I love talking about uh, about the UFC and mixed martial arts in general. This has been a pleasure. I thank you so much for the time. All right, I appreciate you coming on, John Eric Poli, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at John Eric Poli of MyMMANews.com. I am absolutely loving the conversation. And we'll get to more about trilogies in sports at the top of the 12 o'clock hour, right at high noon. But when we come back, it's time to talk about things that have frustrated me over the last week. And trust me, there are a lot of them in our Hit the Bricks segment to wrap up hour number one. Back after this on 103.7 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back under the dome with CD Hour One nearing a close, and it's time for a really fun segment to end off hour number one and set this thing off into hour number two with, of course, hit the bricks. There's a lot of things that frustrates the famous CD on a daily basis. I got a lot of problems with you people. Let's let the man breathe and tell you what needs to hit the bricks. For me, the biggest thing that needs to hit the bricks, first things first, this is a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten path, but I saw this earlier this week on TV, and TV disclaimers for movies can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. For me, it's got to hit the bricks, because Wednesday night I was channel surfing, and all of a sudden I see Rush Hour. It's coming on TV. And when you know, the USA Network decides to put a disclaimer basically saying, hey, some of the content here hasn't exactly aged too well just so lame to me and like i get it you know if you want to put that stuff for disclaimers that are honestly deserve it like let's say you know a jay and silent bob movie airing in the middle of the day or or, or maybe you know something to that extent or some horror movie or whatever basically like, like house of thousand corpses airing in the middle of the day i, I can understand that but this is kind of like i i'd say a little lame if you will hit the bricks pal the other thing that can hit the bricks is somebody who's been hitting a lot of them. Lonzo Ball can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. And I think he gets doubled down because I meant to put him in the list, but he definitely kind of missed out on the inaugural hit the bricks list. And he also kind of proved that he is all media hype thanks to his daddy, LeVar, who has been very quiet since his oldest came over to the Crescent City. Yeah, he looked good in the final game, but reports of him being checked out in the bubble makes you wonder if he even wants to keep playing hoops. So honestly, I'm just saying, Lavar Ball and Lavar Ball and Lonzo Ball, all the Ball family can continue 
to hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. Drake's new music video can hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. The Canadian rapper released a new song recently called Laugh Now, Cry Later. It also had a music video. It was released on Friday. And it's gotten a lot of run on social media because of the fact that it has sports athletes in it. And he looks like a Melvin the entire time. It starts with KD serving him a dose of humble pie. Should we even be surprised? Even KD, after an Achilles injury, was feasting on him. And then the biggest one of them all, he's playing catch with one of the best wide receivers in the league, if he wasn't always in his head, in OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. And Dude was running the weakest routes. We're talking about uh, Drake. He was running the weakest routes I have ever seen anyone run. If everyone, if anyone ever got beaten on that route, retire from the sport forever and go away. But the piece they resist on was after the catch. He got tackled by Beast Mode himself. I think Drake needs to stick to his emo raps and maybe spend some time playing hoops inside of Degrassi High's gym because I think it'd be the only time he makes a shot. Hit the bricks, pal. Then Kama Severand, he needs to hit the bricks. He's the last one on this list. Hit the bricks, pal. The rookie wideout got waived the other day for, get this, sneaking a woman into the team's hotel to steal a phrase from our guy Kevin Foote in the mornings from 9 to 11. Love the show. This cat right here is trying to bring his side piece, at least is what I think, into the bubble and dressed her in full gear to make them think she was a fellow teammate. Bobby Valentine could have caught, could have taught this cat how to disguise her a lot better than he did Enjoy life after the NFL, pal, because you are done. You are history, and you need to, wait for it, hit the bricks. Hit the bricks, pal. What a great hour one. We're going to reset it in hour number two. We got a lot of big breaking news on this Saturday afternoon, and we'll talk about that a whole lot more as we hit high noon on this wonderful Louisiana Saturday. Hopefully have a great one. We'll be back with hour number two of two next you're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! It's time! And time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Hey, welcome everybody. Good afternoon. It is high noon and it is time to talk a little bit about trilogies in the UFC and everywhere in between. Appreciate you listening in, however you are to under the dome with yours truly the famous CD inside the beautiful 1037 the game studios baby we're looking good and we sure as hell are feeling good right about now before we get to the trilogies friendly reminder Alvin Gentry out as the head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans if you want to call up talk about that and who you would want as your next head coach of the Pelicans 
Hit us up, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. Chat us up about anything and everything, because we got the Twin Peaks hotline wide open, my friends, 337-706-0111. But obviously the big news that came out earlier today is involving the New Orleans Pelicans firing Alvin Gentry. we got some statements that have come out now from the Pelicans franchise from Gail Benson. I believe we also got some quotes from David Griffin as well. So I'm going to read those off to you real quick. Start with Griffin. Quote, I'm grateful for and appreciative of Alvin's commitment to the organization and most importantly, the local community. The city of New Orleans is richer because of his presence here. These type of moves often about fit and timing. And we believe now is the right time to make this change and bring in a new voice. End quote. And then Ms. Benson also says, quote, we believe that making a head coaching change is necessary at this time. I truly appreciate Alvin's leadership, dedication, and perseverance through some challenging circumstances over the past five seasons. She goes on to say that he will always be a part of our Pelicans family, and we wish him and his family all the best in the future. Our intention moving forward is to find the right head coach that will guide this Pelicans team to compete for championships. Keyword compete. This is what our fans deserve. Wholeheartedly agree with all those statements. It was well said from the owner of the New Orleans Pelicans. And for me, I think when it comes down to it, there's about only one or two kind of choices that I'd be willing to take into consideration. One, obviously, is the one that I've been talking about since last week, is Kenny Atkinson. Bring this cat aboard. Somebody's going to take him sooner rather than later. I'm telling you, Kenny Atkinson needs to be the guy to talk to, and I'm looking forward to just mentioning that and a whole lot more over the next several days, probably weeks, before we find out who goes where. And I think, honestly, I think we can all agree that there's one or two people that we don't want to have. I think, obviously, Kenny Atkinson's my guy, and I want him on there. Ty Lue's one guy that was definitely heavily mentioned. I think, without a doubt, we need to talk about what's going on with that and a whole lot more a little bit later on in the program. But I appreciate, you know, the fact that Amadou did a, did a solid job, all things considered. I think he did great. But he didn't do good enough for me to say, hey, he was going to keep his job beyond next year. He, he had one more year left on his contract. I think this was the perfect time to do this. It's time to get better. And more importantly, do not, I repeat, absolutely do not have on one person in particular. And I have to say, it is the man I'm going to bring up. Two men I'm going to bring up right now. I brought up one when the news broke because I, I was seeing people talk about it. Jason Kidd. Do not even consider interviewing that guy. He's a clown He as a, as a coach. Hell of a great player. Absolutely loved him when he played for the Nets back in the day. He was an amazing star. But as a coach, doesn't necessarily work that well. And then the other one that's been brought up is Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson. Yes, you heard me right, that name. Why are we going to be giving him an opportunity to be a head coach for the Pelicans? He's been a coach for the Golden State Warriors, more so as an assistant. But he does not belong as a coach, a head coach for the Pelicans. That'd be a huge step back. I don't want another Pelicans as a Warriors assistant coach to be part of this damn team. 
do not do that. If you do, Gail Benson, sell the team to Master P. Let them make him the no-limit soldiers, and we can move on with our lives. I am sick and tired of the Mark Jackson crowd. If that, if that call gets brought up or somebody texts me they should hire Mark Jackson, I might block them from my phone and never talk to them again. Unfriend them, unfollow them, all that stuff. Because your boy is kind of tired of the fact that, you know, Mark Jackson is, is one of the hot topics. Also, Jason Kidd, I can I can understand why you're saying that, but I just can't get with that at all. It was well past time to get rid of Alvin Gentry. You don't need to go back into the Warriors bargain bin again. That's where I'm at when it comes to what the future holds for the Pelicans. I'm not going to go too deep into it because I'm sure Louis Prejean wants to just hop on and have like an extra hour to talk about it. And maybe he wants to have a bit of a a session here in terms of me and him just having a conversation about what the future holds. Basically, me being the Fraser Crane in this situation. So we spent some time earlier in the show talking with John Eric Poli. If you've missed it, we'll have it up on 1037thegame.com soon enough. But we talked about UFC 252 and the big main event between DSA and Stipe Miocic. And the big talk is the fact that this is the trilogy fight between two of the absolute best heavyweights in the history of the great sport of MMA and in the UFC. And that sparked a conversation for me all week long that I've been thinking about in terms of the greatest trilogies of all time. Now, when I say that, I'm not including movies. Back to the Future and Star Wars are those right answers, by the way. I don't know many others that could fit that conversation. But I'm sticking solely to sports here because this is a sports talk station. And I'm not going to do what Lewis does sometimes talk about Eddie's million-dollar cook-off. But I'm going to stick solely to sports. If you have a favorite trilogy of all time in sports, give us a call on the Twin Peaks hotline, 337-706-0111. And I formulated my own personal top five. I'll give them to you right now. I brought the Golden State Warriors. Honestly, they're number five on my list. Technically, it's a quadrilogy. But the first three matchups were awesome. Golden State, Cleveland Cavaliers. It's recency bias, yes, but I think it was just so much fun to see the the real birth of Steph Curry's legacy. And it was the excellence of execution that he had from three-point range. I remember seeing him back in the day at Davidson. I've talked about that before. And I realized we had something great with him, but didn't realize how great he could become with the pieces that he had built around him instead of, you know, LeBron James going ahead and joining a super team, which is a big reason why I'm not a fan of LeBron James. But this was a battle between one of the talents of a generation and LeBron James. I respect the fact that he is one of the talents of a generation, but just don't like him doing the whole super team thing. I, that turned me against him in a big way. It also led to the 3-1 memes that came out and it also really established the Warriors dynasty as probably one of the greats in the history of basketball, at least in my opinion. Number four, Bird versus Magic. This was a trilogy unlike any other. That's all you really have to say. It's not the Lakers versus Celtics because those teams have played each other multiple times. But it's all about Bird versus Magic. The Lakers and Celtics rivalry reached new heights when this trilogy happened. And the fact these two players are practically tied at the hip because you can't say Magic Johnson without mentioning Larry Bird. Sure, you can bring up Larry Bird versus Michael Jordan. They made a whole video game out of it back in the gap. But those legendary battles on the court in college made the storylines headed into those finals that those three years they played each other that much more important. This was the quintessential kind of basketball rivalry and basketball trilogy of all time. That's where we go with 
the sports, the team sports, the meat and potato sports that we bring up here. Now this one, it's all about your take on this. But again, you know, this is my show, and I definitely love to talk about pro wrestling. After all, I do have a podcast called the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. We can check out on 1037thegame.com. Number three is Rock Austin at WrestleMania, 15, 17, and 19. This is the great trilogy, and a big reason why is because all three of them tell a different story, but all three of them tell one individual story as well. Mania 15 was the stamp of approval of these guys becoming the top stars in WWE at WrestleMania 15. Two years later, at the height of pro wrestling's like likability and everybody was into it, Rock Austin, Mania 17, inside the old Astrodome, a packed house for that entire event. And you had to see, obviously, the, the heel turn that nobody really liked, but for me, Rock Austin, WrestleMania 17 belongs at number three because of the fact that you told a story. Then Mania 19 was kind of the last hurrah, if you will. I mean, obviously, The Rock had a couple more matches, but Austin was done. Rock was getting ready to go to Hollywood full-time. So that was definitely a great story in general. Rock Austin, WrestleMania, the trilogy to end all trilogies in the sport of pro wrestling. Sure, people can bring up other really great matches, but I feel like, honestly, Rock Austin is head and shoulders above the rest in my book. Number two, we go to the UFC. Randy Couture versus Chuck Liddell. The trilogy of all trilogies, two of the stalwarts of the UFC and bringing MMA into the mainstream. Those two absolutely did it. The trilogy of matches they had, they were so damn fun. They weren't, obviously, match of the years, fight of the years, but Couture, Liddell, two iconic names, and had three iconic matches. They were damn good, and I think they deserve that to be in that conversation. And then you bring up number one, we got to say, Ali versus Frazier. Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, however you want to call him. His mama call him Clay, I'm going to call him Clay. Taking on Smoking Joe Frazier, an absolutely amazing trilogy that ended with a thriller in Manila. I was nowhere near around the wor- in this world whenever that happened. A lot like what it was with Bird Magic, but I've watched it. I've seen it. I've become a student of the game when it comes to the sport of boxing. Ali Frazier is undisputed. The best trilogy in all of sports, all time, be it team sports, individual sports, sports entertainment, it stands head and shoulders above the rest. That being said, DC Miocic has a chance to bump out at least one of these. Personally, I'd say bump out Warriors Cavs because of the fact that DC Miocic has been so much fun. The first fight ended within like two or three minutes. Two or three minutes. And then Stipe Miocic gets revenge a year later. And now a year removed from two, two years removed from the first encounter, we get to see these two face off in a matchup that is considered absolutely legendary. This is top dogs when it comes down to it. This is the matchup that you have been looking forward to for months. This is the matchup that you've been looking forward to. I've talked about it. On Jordy's show yesterday, one of the big things for me after Saturday's show was the realization that maybe college football, as we know it, could be done. And we push it over to the spring or whatever we do. And that was going to happen. I was going to be disappointed and maybe be a little depressed. But then I see the poster for UFC 252, and remember, that's coming up this Saturday. This is the carrot that got me through this entire week. 
And I hope we see a hell of a fight from Daniel freaking Cormier. But I'm going to leave that conversation for the end of the show of who I think is going to win. If you have a take about it, the Twin Peaks hotline open, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. We're going to take a quick timeout. we got hour number two in full gear. And coming up in this hour, we're going to have on Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone at 95.3, the ticket. She'll be joining the show to talk a little Sunbelt at 1230. And then also, we'll get some NBA playoff thoughts because the NBA playoffs are about to get jump-started in earnest. So talk about that and a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now, back to the famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Welcome back. It's definitely been a fun show. Going to have on Carol Ritchie on at 1230. Can't wait for that convo because we'll get into a lot of the Sunbelt Conference talking what's causing all this from that end because I think that's a lot of more of an interesting conversation to have when it comes to what's going to have is the Sunbelt Conference, could it be sustainable in the future? Because there's a lot of questions surrounding the feasibility of having a group of five programs. Especially if we see the Power Five decide to branch off and go into business for themselves and create their own kind of setup. Which is something that I think we need to talk about because it definitely is a possibility, especially after everything I talked about during the Saturday sports sermon, which if you miss, we'll have it up on 1037game.com. And trust me, we'll make sure to put that out there very quickly. But, you know, I want to talk about the NBA playoffs for a little bit because I know Lewis talked a lot about that, but I've got my own thoughts and opinions about it. And today's going to be the play-in game, and I'm looking forward to that. Big reason why? I hope the Trailblazers win that thing. The Grizzlies don't deserve it. The Grizzlies do not deserve it after the performance they've put in all throughout this postseason. This bubble play, they shouldn't be in the playoffs. The Blazers deserve this. Dame Dalla is going to put up like 50 points in my mind tonight or this afternoon in just about an hour from right now, I think the Blazers are going to dominate the Grizzlies tonight, and they won't have to worry about playing a game two, a double elimination type setup. You're going to, and then you move on to the playoffs. I am absolutely looking forward to the fact we one had the playoffs in the NBA because we've had the NHL start up, and that's been great. He had a five overtime ball game the other night. That was so much fun to see. But the conversation is going to be all about who comes out of the West and the East. And I hate to say it. I mentioned it with Ben yesterday, but I'm going to bring it up again now and go a little bit more along on this. I feel like the Lakers are just set up to make it to the to the NBA Finals. It just feels like it. Yeah, the Lakers have been great inside the NBA bubble, but spoiler alert, you know, they didn't necessarily need to be. 
after they lock down the number one seed, it's like, hey, you know, might as well just phone it in and move on and make sure we can keep everybody healthy as possible. More power to you to pull that off. So the Lakers, I think, have the best chance of coming out of the West. It just feels like that's where it's going to be because it's all about the, what the NBA wants. It'll be the battle for Los Angeles and the battle for the West in the finals. I can tell you that right now. I think it's going to be chalk on that end because I think the Clippers are going to be a team that's going to dominate this one. Now, the Blazers have every chance to pull off the upset of all upsets, the eight seed ups beating the one seed. Because I've, because one, you know, the big thing is they coming into this in great form, in great shape. And I think they have every chance to dominate the Lakers in at least a couple of those games. And the fact you don't have to worry about playing in the Staples Center in front of a packed crowd. If it were in a Staples Center, I'd probably give the Lakers a clean sweep throughout. Tell me you don't want to see Lakers, excuse me, Blazers, Clippers in the finals at the Western Conference. But I feel like the Blazers are going to give them all kinds of hell, but the Lakers still come out on top because they're they're too stacked, and they're going to make it out the at the Western Conference. The Eastern Conference though is probably going to be a lot more interesting to see how that goes. For me, it's the top tiers going to be really fun to watch. The Bucks, the Raptors, and the Celtics. Giannis is the MVP, but I just don't think he's ready. He needs one more piece in my mind to get them over the top and be able to get into the finals. Because the Bucks, the Bucks are just missing like a little bit. The Raptors was a team last year after the finals ended and we started to hear rumors about Kawhi Leonard leaving. I felt like that team was going to be a lot like the Miami Marlins back in 2003, where right after they won the World Series, they were going to shut it all down, sell the team, and do a whole fire sale and burn that thing to the ground and spit on the ashes. And then, then you have uh, you know your boy Derek Jeter out there and basically take a take a dump on on this on that uh, land as well. That's basically what they did. But the Miami Marlins. The Toronto Raptors aren't. The Toronto Raptors are actually a lot better than I thought they were going to be heading into this season. 53-19 on a four-game win streak coming out of the seeding schedule. And now they're getting ready for a really fun rest of the NBA playoffs. I think the Eastern Conference is probably the most interesting because it's going to be between the Raptors, the Celtics, and I'd say the Bucks. determine who's going to come out on top. I think all three of those could be sweeps. I think the Celtics 76ers series could very well go five. Without Ben Simmons, it's going to be tough, but I think that's going to be the biggest storyline heading into this. Can all three, can all the Eastern Conference series outside of Heat Pacers go four games? Can just be a sweep? I just feel like, to me, the Raptors get back to the finals, play the Lakers, and the Lakers win in like five games. Lakers in five is where I have it. I would I would love to see the Clippers in it. Just to continue the narrative, for me at least, that I've been talking about for a while, is that Kawhi Leonard is the dynasty killer, the legacy killer. Look back at his career. When he was with the Spurs, he won a championship beating the big three in LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh and, and caused 
your boy Bron Bron to go back to Cleveland to go chase another ring. And then he wound up going over to, obviously, the team that everybody loves, and that is your boys, the the Los Angeles Lakers. Then you see Kawhi go over to the Toronto Raptors for one year. He takes that team to the finals and beats the Golden State Warriors, the dynasty of all dynasties. He beat them and caused them to break up. And now the Warriors are nowhere to be found in terms of the rankings. They have been they have just been long gone. Mind you, a lot of that has to do with the Steph Curry injury, but still. The Warriors aren't necessarily the Warriors anymore because they've started to splinter off into their own little thing. And then obviously the injury to Steph Curry hurt matters. I mean, they were fifteen and fifty before the pandemic shut everything down. I'm sure they were happy about the fact that it wasn't an all thirty two all thirty teams, excuse me, I'm thinking NFL all thirty two. I'm sure they're glad about the fact they don't have to deal with that because the Warriors just have been just ravaged by everything going on. But I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with the NBA playoffs because it's going to be fun to see what's going to happen next. Are we going to see Lakers, Clippers in the finals? Who's going to come out on top there? The Eastern Conference is probably... A lot more open because I think Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, even the Pacers haven't looked half bad. The Nets have been, eh, you know. But I still think the Heat, the Heat Pacers matchup is going to be the most intriguing out of all of them, and that could very well upset the Apple Cart in some of those matchups. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a lot more concerning the Sun Belt Conference. We're going to go around the Fun Belt with our good friend Kara Ritchie host of the Workday Red Zone in 95.3 The Ticket. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Spending been a lot of time talking about what's going on in the world of college football because honestly, that's all we can really talk about right now is it's been a busy week in the world of college football, especially if you're a group of five program like the Sun Belt Conference, looking like they're going full steam ahead, not just like how things are right now with the SEC going all conference, they're planning on going with all 12 games. And to talk about that and a whole lot more, we go over to the Twin Peaks Hotline, talk with Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone on 95.3 The Ticket. Kara, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. How are y'all? I am doing fantastic on this Saturday afternoon. Um, hopefully you are as well. And I know you've definitely been having a lot of fun lately, you know, as we kind of are starting to hear more and more about college football in the fall possibly happening, of course. I think there's going to be quite a few more hurdles to jump through. But I've also noticed that you've been having a lot of fun dealing with these Zoom conference calls, especially when it comes to not saving this stuff. Like that, I think that was the most interesting part of all this is seeing how people are dealing with Zoom. I'm not really technologically literate, um, so I'm not dealing with Zoom very well at all. It's never a good thing when you have to have multiple 
uh, conversations in a day with your with the university you cover with the SID because you screwed up, and I've had that happen on a couple occasions. So just I uh, please do not reach out to me for a Zoom tutorial. It is not going to go well. Yeah, trust me. It, it's interesting to kind of handle that because I never really dealt with you know Skype or anything yeah. to that extent before you know this whole pandemic thing kind of started and just seeing how Zoom worked. I want to get your thoughts on this because I think this is something I've asked many people about is would you be okay with Zoom being the way like press conferences are done going forward? At least for like, let's say those Monday press conferences where you're having to go across town to go deal with this and then head back over to the station or in my case, the studio. Personally, I would, I would really like it um, just because of the way that uh, a state timeline is. Uh, they usually have their Monday press conferences right before I go on air. So it's impossible. It's For the past four years, it's been impossible for me to go to a Monday press conference. So um, that would be amazing to me because I'd be able to, to take part in at least, you know, the first half of it. Um, I enjoyed being able to uh, zoom in on, on post-practice as well, even though that was kind of awkward because, you know, Blake Anderson was standing not that far from where you were <laughs> at one point in time. And also post-game, I, I like the idea of Zoom because I, I host a post-game call-in show, so I'm not able to be at the facility following the game. Um, instead, I'm set up at a different location, so I could be able to um, observe that or take part in that. So selfishly, um, I've liked some of the changes and some of the things that we've been able to do with Zoom. However, you know, nothing is ever going to be that face-to-face interaction. It's just so easy to uh, read somebody's body language or hear the sound in their voice better and know more when to ask a follow-up or uh, to be able to better read their emotions or whatever. So um, right now, absolutely making the best of it, and there are parts of it that I like, but uh, I'll I'll be okay with with being able to talk to people face-to-face again soon as well. I'd have to agree with that wholeheartedly. And, you know, one of the big things that I've noticed, especially over the last 48 hours or so, is how crazy things have been since Wednesday when the Big 12 said, oh, yeah, we're going to continue to play fall sports, and then they're going to add one non-conference game. And then I think every single athletic director in the Sunbelt Conference basically had whoever the AD is across the Big 12 and just started hitting like speed dial to try and get somebody, get a dance partner, anybody to fill a spot in Arkansas State. Got a pretty decent one in K-State. And I think this is just the most interesting part of all this is how they're mapping this out. These games are typically going to be on September the 12th. The Cajuns got Iowa State. How crazy is it right now to try and find that dance partner to fill that 12-game schedule? Because in the case of the, of the, I know in the Cajuns at least, they've got to fill three more spots after adding Iowa State. A-State has been very fortunate with their 2020 schedule. On Just, just to start with, uh, you were able to keep, or A-State was able to keep two opponents because you had two AAC opponents um, opening the season against Memphis, which is a one-hour drive from Jonesboro, just right across the river. And then also having um, the home, uh, well, the out-of-conference uh, home finale against Tulsa. So you had two opponents that were already fairly regional. You lost Michigan when, um, well, when they went conference only and then when they went no football, period. And uh, the original FCS opponent was Howard, which is um, in D.C. So um, not, obviously, regional games there. Being able to get K-State on the schedule is uh, phenomenal for so many reasons. One, you still get a little bit of money. Uh, it's not Michigan money, but there is a $550,000 check coming with that. Also, their athletic director, Gene Taylor, has mentioned that they are going to help 
with testing costs for Arkansas State because there are different Big 12 protocols to testing than there are in the Sun Belt right now. So that is a big plus. And then you just get, again, another opponent that's, you know, somewhat regional. Uh, just tip your hat to Terry Mahodger for being able to somehow, some way, uh, magic up a 12-game schedule in the year of the pandemic. I mean, you got to get. I think he deserves a pay raise. He was able to kind of pull this kind of stuff off because it's mind blowing seeing how much schedules have changed across. Yeah. And you know, across the Sun Belt and across the nation, obviously. But looking at the Sun Belt specifically, were you surprised with the announcement that they were going to continue to kind of go full steam ahead with a twelve game schedule when you saw what the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten did before they welched on and basically walked that back real quick, like. And obviously, what was going on with the Pac-12? Not really, because it's, it seems like it's been breaking up into regional and geographical lines, you know? Uh, the South is playing football. The South in the Sun Belt is playing football. The South in the SEC, in the ACC, in Conference USA, in, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, I mean, that, that region of the country is playing football, so... I'm not necessarily surprised by that. I think the only thing that's that's interesting to me or that I would be um, curious about in the fact that we've kind of got this geographical split across the country is is everybody's got different um, COVID advisory panels. They've got different medical panels. They've got – everybody's got an expert. You have to. But I'd really be curious to know what the Big Ten's experts are saying that um, is different than the SEC, Sunbelt, ACC experts. Because why why is there such a division right now in, in college football? And I, I talk right now with Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone and 95.3, the ticket. And I think that's a question that we're all kind of wondering is why do we have to kind of go by the head expert of, let's say, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, who are all going to have different opinions because they're all different people yeah. and they all have their own way of kind of going about things. Why haven't we gotten to the point where the SEC, where the NCAA in general, doesn't doesn't have a unified voice? I think that's definitely the biggest thing in all this. Is I've noticed it. The different conferences they're going into business for themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, there's no doubt about it. There's been, you know, this has brought uh, the past month or so. It's kind of brought to the forefront again conversations about having um, a general college football president or commissioner or, or whatever you want to word, whatever word it is you want to want to use there that would oversee college football because we don't see these leagues unite for anything. Yes, we have seen the Power Five unite to get some certain things passed to go their way, and then because of that, the group of five have been lumped together. Really, the only time you can get all ten conferences to come together on anything is when they're trying to project are trying to protect the concept of amateurism. That's it. Other than that, uh, you really can't get any cohesion, and that's why we're getting to a point where in just a few short weeks we're going to have, hopefully, uh, or as of right now, you know, 74 teams playing this fall, and then we're going to turn around and watch 56 teams try and play in the spring and trying to figure out uh, the college football playoffs, trying to figure out bowl games, trying to figure out your Heisman, uh, so many of these different things that we just are used to automatically seeing every year, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a disaster. Kara, is spring – I mean, you bring up spring football, and I think that brings up another conversation. Is that even feasible? Obviously, this is kind of like the last resort yeah. of being able to get like a winter spring season type setup. 
Maybe a lot like what we've seen with the AAF and the XFL, both of those leagues RIP, even though the XFL does have a new owner. Thank you very much, The Rock. But the question <laughs> I have is definitely, is a spring football season even feasible? Right now, no, not without everybody on board. And it's 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 kind of a mess. You know, we've seen Jeff Brom of Purdue actually put out a plan for spring football. And even though there's there's a lot on it that would need to be tweaked, I do at least tip my cap for him for putting forward a plan because he is one of the first people we've seen in college football that has put together a plan on paper and had had it documented. Uh, you could have spring football if you could get all the conferences in the country to agree to it because the issue with spring football is then you're having to disrupt at least two seasons. You can't play in the spring, period, eight games, ten games, six games, whatever, and then turn around and play again in September if you have any care whatsoever about the safety and health of your student-athletes. It's just impossible. So you would be looking at playing in the spring, starting in around February, having a regular, well, not a regular, excuse me, but an eight- to ten-game season. Then what you would also have to do coming up next winter in 2021 is probably play a split season to where your season starts in November and then it runs to February. So a 21-22 season, again, eight or ten games. And you wouldn't be looking at normal college football in the fall again until fall of September 22. And it's feasible if everybody's on board. But if not, you've got a mess all over again next year. Exactly. I think that's the big thing. Talking now, Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Reds on 95.3 The Ticket. And it's not just like the fact that you're trying to get spring football off the and you're trying to get football off the ground and be able to actually happen. I think it's also the big thing for me that I've just observed in all this is the fact that you've got a whole lot of other things you're going to have to try and figure out is how are you going to have baseball, softball, basketball, all those things kind of coagulate, if you will. Because, for instance, I'm going to use here in Lafayette, Louisiana, we got the Cajun Dome, Cajun Field, Lampson Park, the Teague. They're all within about a mile radius of each other. They all occupy the same kind of venue in terms of the parking lot and let's say even if if fans are allowed to these events that creates a logistical nightmare an absolute log jam that gives me headaches not just you uh your facilities crew is probably oh yeah trust me i know know the the, uh, john duga and crew are just like what the hell is going on yeah that is terrifying and it's also got to be really stressful for people who work in sports and information or just people who work in college athletics where they're used to getting that little separation between the seasons. Um, and it is it is really stressful for those people. And for schools in the Power Five, probably not that much of an issue. They've still got some money. They're going to continue to get TV money. They're going to be okay. But you start to look, you know, even at the Group of Five level, even in the Sun Belt, does every school in the Sun Belt have, for example, like the SID staff to be able to make sure – that they can have somebody at a football game and a women's basketball game and a men's basketball game on the road, and then at the beginning of baseball season have someone there. Well, then who's taking down the stats for track and field? Uh, who is there to write up the uh, headlines for golf? You just have everything there at the same time, and all of a sudden that becomes really, really stressful for a lot of different people that work in college athletics. So, again, it's feasible, but it's just not. it, it would not be convenient. And, Carrie, you know, one of the other questions that I've just been thinking about over the last couple weeks is if, and this, this of course, is the huge hypothetical, if you can't have a college football season, be it in the in the fall or the spring, if it's not viable enough for a lot of the reasons that we were just talking about, 
Could the Sun Belt survive? Yeah, it could survive. Um, it wouldn't be pretty. Uh, and you would probably be looking at, um, you know, some, some significant scheduling cuts in the next couple of years. You might be looking at a situation where if there was no football, uh, the league would probably um, unfortunately have to do a lot away with um, a lot of tournaments. You might not get a Sunbelt golf tournament. You might not get a Sunbelt volleyball tournament, a tennis tournament. There might just be, you know, the, the best record ends up getting the title those years, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, because you're taking opportunities away from your student athletes. Um, there's not, I, I, to the best of my knowledge, there's not necessarily that many schools in the Sun Belt in, in dire straits. I mean, you look at what's going on in the MAC where they're not having football. And, and for example, Akron, uh, they were having massive university funding issues where they're having to cut massive numbers of staff. So, you can kind of understand there that they can't ha- keep having to push for athletics when they can't pay their professors. But to the best of my knowledge, you don't have any situations quite that dire uh, in the SBC. One more before I let you go, Kara, and I think this is more locally because I've noticed it a lot, is how it feels like there's a bunch of – we talk about infighting, and I think Louisiana has become the king of infighting because apparently – Dr. Brian Maggard tried to get in touch with LaTeX AD Tommy McClellan for a game, and basically Tommy McClellan's gone ghost on him. And that that's an interesting story, to say the least, because Conference USA and Tommy McClellan just aren't a fan of the Sun Belt and the Cajuns right about now. Did, didn't that dude have a quote yes. like a month ago where he <laughs> said, we don't want to play the Sun Belt, we see ourselves on par with this school, that school, and whatever? That was Louisiana Tech's AD, was it yes. not? Yes, yes, Tom McClellan, yes, indeed. Did somebody show him stats of how bad Conference USA was last year after that quote, you know? Did <laughs> anybody I, reached out to him I and don't, said, this, said your league kind of stunk? I don't think so, but again, Tom McClellan can think what he wants to think. In fact, the other day he wound up suddenly throwing a little shade towards the Cajuns, showing him a Kenneth Dixon running 99 yards back in 2014. P.S., that was six years ago. I don't think he wants to play the Cajuns because he knows – the Cajuns would whip his tail end up and down um, uh, up and down Front Street right about now. Was it was it Louisiana Tech that had like the eighty three yard fumble a couple years ago? Did you re- did you respond with that? No, I did not. I should. I'm gonna have to find that clip and just throw it his way one yeah, day. Yeah, find and that'll get blocked. YouTube, you know, so <laughs> find the YouTube video of the eighty three yard fumble set to Yakety Sax. It's amazing. <laughs> Kara, thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. And hopefully when we do, it's leading up to Cajuns, Arkansas State. Hey, that sounds great. All right, that was Kara Ritchie on the Twin Peaks Hotline. Appreciate her coming on. You can follow her, her on Twitter at Kara underscore Ritchie. Going to take a quick time out. we got one more segment left. That means we got one more take to go on this Saturday afternoon. And we got more Under the Dome with CD coming up next right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I think this take, for the most part, it is going to be accurate. I have the utmost confidence 
in one man and one man in particular to win it all tonight at UFC 252, the absolute main event of the biggest fight card of the year, without a doubt, outside of obviously the fight week that happened last month. But this one's at the top of the list for me. I think we see your boy, DC, get it done. Listen to CD when he talks about DC. This is the trilogy fight that everybody's been looking forward to. Buying that pay-per-view twice, as Conor McGregor once said, I can tell you right now, it's going to be DC's night. He is he has so much riding on this contest. He wants to be the man to retire on top of the world, at top up wearing that 10 pounds of gold. He wants to be able to walk away from the sport that he loves, MMA, with that heavyweight championship for a second time. And I think he does it. I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see a third round knockout. I wouldn't be surprised at all. He's DC's got that knockout power. The biggest key for me is seeing DC get it done with that ground game. Seeing him be able to get it done on the ground. Do what he specialized in. He was an Olympic wrestler, for goodness sakes. How can you not say he is great in the ground game? Being able to get it done. Being able to grapple well. He is going to wind up getting it done tonight. Stipe, you're no longer the heavyweight champion, at least for the time being. And DC retires on top. Gets to be like Ray Lewis. Gets to be like your boy Peyton Manning. Gets to be like, you know, Michael Jordan before he went to the Wizards. But it's going to be a legendary fight, and it'll go down as the greatest trilogy in the history of MMA in a lot of people's minds. I still think Liddell Ortiz, excuse me, Liddell Couture was a better trilogy overall. But this one, without a doubt, is going to get a lot of love. So for me, go DC. you got to support the Lafayette native, and I think he very well goes down after this win tonight. He goes down as one of the greatest to ever, and I mean ever, come out of the Acadia area and get it done at a high level. That's about it for the show today. Appreciate everybody for coming on. John Eric Poli, appreciate him coming on, especially on such short notice. We tried getting Blaine Henry on, Fight Library. Might get him on after next week's show. We got a lot of things to talk about with him. So we'll do that probably next week. Appreciate you listening in. Appreciate Kara Ritchie as well for coming on the program. Talk a little, obviously, college football at the Sun Belt level. I know she was out there covering some practice at Arkansas State. So hopefully she's gotten enough of her, her good fill-in with that. But appreciate you especially for listening in on this Saturday afternoon. I'll be back with you next week as per the use as we're getting closer and closer to seeing what's going to happen with Alvin Gentry. Maybe next week we'll talk about who the new head coach is. Maybe we will continue to talk about Kenny Atkinson. This is a big Kenny Atkinson house, by the way. I'm just going to bring that up before we get out of here. And, of course, don't forget, we got Astros baseball coming up later tonight. And trust me, it's going to be a good one. Astros-Mariners game two of the series. Can the foot theory be true or not? I think that's another question. 5.35 pregame, 6.10 first pitch. Astros-Mariners. The Astros put up a boatload of points, and I mean an absolute obscene amount of points. 11-1 win, nine of them in the first inning alone. you got to tell me, this cat, this team is not ready to just absolutely come unglued in the minute made before a very weird week next week where the Rockies are going to be playing at the minute made and then head on over to Denver, Colorado on Wednesday and Thursday. Definitely interesting times. 
But appreciate you listening in and take it easy. Again, Astros baseball tonight, UFC 252 later that night. The NBA's in playoff mode, NHL in playoff mode. Don't be hating on people who opt out, by the way. That's one more thing to get out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Talk to you next week. Peace! Hey, Clavis! Wake up! The show's over. Oh, yeah! Kick it!